he just prayed to listen intently. So if you're caught not listening intently, what's going to happen? <laughs> Two announcements. Uh, we're going to routinely make this mention um, uh, because folks don't always hear it. Parents need to pick up their children right after service on a Wednesday night. Uh, walk, don't run. Running's not permitted. Uh, Bacon Fest this Saturday for the men. And uh, so looking forward to that. Be there or be square. Second Kings chapter 16, because of him. That's the title. And I hope you don't like this guy as much as I don't like him by the time we're done. One of the easiest things for a human being to do is to blame God. It's so easy to do, even after you become a Christian. You've got to guard against that. And uh, this king seems to have been one who practiced blaming the only true God. And throughout his reign, this is King Ahaz, who had a great grand, uh, a grandfather who was great, Uzziah, and a father, Jot them, they were righteous men. His son will be one of the Israel's or Judah's best kings, uh, Hezekiah. But he, he is not so. And throughout his time on the throne, Isaiah the prophet ministered. Isaiah had ministered back with his grandfather and will be ministering through the days of his son, Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah has a rotten son, Manasseh, but Isaiah will be there too. Micah, the prophet, is also delivering the word of God at this time in Judah. And uh, these were righteous prophets dealing with religious sinners. That alone is a thought. What is a religious sinner? And, uh, well, Ahaz is one with his fake altars and what he did to the house of God. So we look now at verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, King of Judah began to reign, chronologically out of order again. We read about the death of Pekah in chapter 15, but he has his, he has his character as revived because we're going back in time. Judah uh, is going to the southern kingdom, and they are going to suffer because of this apostate king. We know about this, so history is just on overflow with rulers who have caused their people misery in various degrees of misery. The old King James in Chronicles says this about him, for he made Judah naked. The new King James in the second Chronicles changes the language a little bit without doing violence to it. It is interpretive um, rendering because it means to, to strip bare, to expose. And he did this to Judah spiritually and as a kingdom. Hundreds of thousands of people in Judah are going to suffer because of him. Second Chronicles in the New King James, Yahweh brought Judah low because of Ahaz. Ergo, the title, because of him. Because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to Yahweh. That sets the pace for all that's going to happen. That is the, the basis of, of all that flows out of the lesson on this, this character. Now, he is called the king of Israel. Well, Jehoshaphat is called that too in Chronicles. Because in Chronicles, they're talking about 
the southern kings, but to them, they were Israel's kings. They were of the line of David. That line of David would carry into the kingdom age, what we know as the millennial reign of Christ. And they never forgot it. So it is, you, you have to know the Bible to understand that's what they're doing. You have to be familiar with it, the style of writing. And, and so here you have Israel's the northern kingdom. Judea is the southern kingdom. These kings were kings in the south, but as far as the historians were concerned, they were the legitimate kings. Yeah, Jeroboam I was allowed to be king because God sent the prophet and, you know, stripped the garment. You'll receive ten tribes. But he blew it. He forfeited all of it with his apostasy. And so the historians kind of stick it back in there and say, yeah, well, David's line is the king. And the prophets are going to come along, especially Ezekiel. Uh, all of them, though, David, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and they're going to say, David is the king, and it is his line. And uh, so there you have uh, it show up in Chronicles. By right, it is the throne of David and Solomon and their ancestors. Uh, we move f- further down to verse 2 now. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh, his God, as his father David had done. Well, again, this is a history book as well as the scripture. And so it's sort of like in the New Testament, Paul comes along, he's writing letters. And so are the other apostles, but they start writing letters. It's becoming scripture. It, it, when they wrote the letters, they didn't say, okay, I'm writing scripture. Uh, it became the Holy Spirit uh, overruled Anything that would keep it from being scripture and made it scripture. They say it in a backwards way like that. Well, here they're writing a history of their people. And now it is the word of God to us. God is the, uh, the great editor of the Bible. What does a person know concerning life and what's going to happen in life at 16 years old? Well, 20 years old, when he becomes king. He reigns for 16 years. And so he's 36 when he dies. But still, at 36, what are you really just learning life? You're just finding out who you are. And as, as you get older, you know, you find out a lot of things about life and yourself that you didn't have before. You're just too tired to execute <laughs> what you've learned. So, yeah, I know that, but I'm not doing that. That was nap time. Anyway, here is this king. He's young. And it doesn't mean he has to be a fool. It's not written anywhere in the universe that the young must be fools. Foolishness comes easier to the younger because they haven't got the fingers burnt enough. Burnt enough. And he did not do what was right. This phrase is, it shows up in the Hebrew once more, and it's in Chronicles, and it's about the same guy. It doesn't really show up like this in this identical form. And he did not do what was right. Oh, we don't want that said about us. He did not trust God. That's the trouble. And he did not trust God when trouble came. And the prophets rallied to his support. He didn't care. Well, Isaiah offered him a miracle. Nah, I don't want. He acted all holy. You know, I don't want to put God through that kind of stuff. He really didn't want God. He did not want Yahweh to be God. You meet Christians, or not Christians, you meet people who do not want Christ to be Christ. And they'll do anything they can to cover up the evidence, to look the other way, 
They are just determined to be anti-Christ. Well, you had that in Israel with Jews who do not want to follow their God, who is our God, Yahweh. Second uh, Chronicles 22 rings in again. He says, now in this time, now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to Yahweh. That is that King Ahaz. That's what it says. That guy right there points the finger right in his face. Uh, inflammatory speech. I had a many years ago a visitor. She was, I think, at Fort Lee, you know, one of the military bases here in town for classes. And she says, I, you know, she's trying to be so nice. She's trying not to be inflammatory, telling me I was being inflammatory. She was surprised when I, no, I didn't. <laughs> I was very nice to her in, in my thinking, in, in my language. Uh, I don't know how it's interpreted. But anyway, you know, telling the truth is inflammatory. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I love Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. He said, uh, I don't know how not to offend guilty people. They're going to they're gonna like it. Well, anyway, coming back, I guess if you want a class on this, watch, watch those shows like Cops. <laughs> Just, well, they have to deal with people who refuse to be held accountable or to own the evil that they do. It is... Satan at work. Anyway, it says here in verse 2, In the sight of Yahweh his God and his father David had, had done. He did not do what was right in the sight of Yahweh his God as his father David had done. Um, he didn't think David was all that. He wasn't impressed by him. Can you imagine a Christian not impressed by Paul? Yeah, yeah, you know, he was all right. You know, he got, took a few beatings. I mean, it would, be, it would be crazy. Poor Paul. He didn't have Calvinism to help him on. But anyway, we won't, we won't go into that right now. Uh, when you come across stupid theology that's out there, ask them, did Jesus have this? Did he need this? How come he doesn't preach on this? Oh, he, you know, hey, I'm glad we got the psychologist to straighten us pastors out. Yeesh. Anyway, uh, I, I always feel bad when I hit those things because I don't hit them hard enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, he wasn't impressed with David, nor his father or grandfather. David, as I mentioned, is the legitimate king. Uh, verse 3, when he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out from before the children of Israel. Well, that goes points all the way back to the days of Moses. God said, I'm bringing you into this land, and I need you to throw these people out. Here's what they're doing. Don't you do it. And if you do it, I'm going to throw you out. And that's what happened. Uh, that's a quick overview of, of the law of the Lord uh, concerning the people of Israel and the promised land. So here, this Judean king is being rebuked for walking like the kings of the north. Well, everyone's doing it. It's the rave. I mean, why can't I have fake gods too? Uh, you can get to put them all on your robe and I get a good, you know, embroidery machine or something. Anyway, it's pathetic. It's a pathetic reason to do anything. Everybody's doing it. I mean, there are some times where, you know, whatever everybody is doing, you have to, you should do it too. Like if the building's on fire. 
and everybody's running out, it's probably a good idea to join the crowd. And there may be some exceptions, you know, oh, my cockies. No, kidding. <laughs> they tell you not to do that. <laughs> anyway, what would you go back for? Well, a loved one. Anyhow, coming back to this, Psalm 119, verse 15. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. That's what the response should have been by this king to the northern king's behaviors. For you youth, and those of you very impressionable, Proverbs 1. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't go along. Hey, taste this. Hey, smoke this. Hey, do this. How about no? I don't want to do that. I don't care if you don't like me for not wanting to do that. Well, uh, anyway, why not be influenced by a righteous person? He says here in verse 3, Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire. This is the disgusting, heinous practice of child sacrifice. And we are told elsewhere, I'll read it in a minute, that it was not just once. It would be recorded as plural. This horrific religion, this practice of that religion, of the Canaanites, God explicitly condemned it especially in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Jeremiah. God says at one point, this stuff was never in my mind to do such a thing. It has now been polished and refined. They don't call it child sacrifice. They call it abortion. And uh, after all, a woman has rights over the unborn and certainly over God, uh, according to them. And this is, again, the devil's work. You know, I, if I were to write a book, I would write a book that would say, you know, Bible characters for unbelievers. I'd, I'd fix up the title somewhat because that wouldn't sell. It, I, the title would probably be like, you chump. Uh, but anyway, uh, it would just be these kind of people that just thought they could do this stuff. Where's Ahaz right now, right this moment? Where is his soul? It is not annihilated. He is someplace. And we got a good idea where. He didn't even make it to the king's graveyard, incidentally. Well, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out. Yeah, uh, they, were, they had become a Yahweh-less people. There are churches, there are denominations, there are, you know, Christless Christianity. A.W. Tozier, I think, has a book or certainly a chapter called that. Second Chronicles 28, verse 3, He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children, there's plural, in the fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had cast out before the children of Israel. This is why this guy caused so much problems. God could not bless this. And the people were going, many of the people, were going right along with it. They were fine with it. Who was praying to God for righteousness to prevail? Hundreds of thousands of troops in one day. I think it's, uh, I don't remember. We'll come to it. I wrote it down. 150,000, 200,000 in one day wiped out because God's judgment was on them. It says here, from before the children of Israel. Uh, this is uh, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Joshua worked so hard to get these people out of the land 
not so that they could squat there and impress everybody with their sin. Ooh, look at me. Are you impressed? We, we burn out kids uh, because we love our God so much. It's demonic. It is full-blown demonism. And God did not want his people to be like that or anybody else. God did not want them to be that way. And Israel was supposed to be a light to say, hey, here's an alternative to this craziness. Um, well, uh, what he could have been had he been a righteous, a righteous man. If, if God had no problem with it, he could have spared the Jews a trip across the desert and a time in the wilderness if everybody's thing, what they were doing was just fine. But it wasn't. Verse 4. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places on the hills under every green tree. I was just watching the, I don't know, 1956, I think, around the world in 80 days. No profanity in it. And nobody chasing anybody with guns. And bazo- anyway, <laughs> there's a scene, of course, where they, you know, there's a, a practice in, in ancient India. that the, the British Empire really stomped it out, the Christian influence there where they would burn the, the surviving wife with the dead husband. Who thought of that? <laughs> I mean, who cares? You know what? Your husband's dead. We should burn you. And it just, of course, and the characters say, but, but this is the world, the, the darkness that is out there. And there's, there's, there's much more darkness. There's plenty more darkness where that came from. Darkness doesn't travel at the speed of light. It's just there when there is no light. Well, uh, verse 4 And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. He infested the land of Judah, God's land. He infested it with with this paganism. But what is it with the kings burning incense? Solomon, of course, he burned incense to the gods of his wives. He just thought, I just, you know, I don't believe in him, but I got to keep peace, you know, political stuff. And he'd go to their altars and wave the little incense. And then Jeroboam, he did the same thing in Bethel and, and, and Dan. And uh, Uzziah, the good king, tried to do it to, to the true God and was withstood by the priest. And now we have this one burning incense all over the place. The incense, you know, is the prayers rising up to heaven, which it is supposed to represent, but it is voided out if it is, uh, of course, the wrong faith, the wrong God. Second Chronicles 28 again. Therefore, Yahweh, his God, delivered him into the hand of the kings of Syria. Notice that God says, whether he likes it or not, I'm still his God. I just won't be his savior. Uh, Atheists can say, I don't believe in God. God says, well, that's too bad. I'm still your God. I'm still the creator. I'm not your father, but I am your God. And uh, we love that our God doesn't back down. Anyway, it continues here in Second Chronicles. Therefore, Yahweh his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. See the sorrow? This, this, because of him, all of these people are suffering we're seeing this with this the, the guy with the unfortunate name in Russia. <laughs> okay, I'm not being crass, but I do think of it. So, Vladimir. That's not the name. 
I'm referring to. Anyway, Mr. Unfortunate, look how much horror he's causing everybody. Does anybody want to call out his last name? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't want to get started. See what silliness does. Okay, so this king, so spiritually blind, that he thinks the armies that defeated him, their gods is the god to follow. And not the true god that he insulted, that was willing to give him evidence that he would bless him. This, is, this guy's head is crazy. See, this is the kind of thing you want to show an unbeliever. He says, let me tell you about Ahaz, because you're like kind of a doofus like him. And maybe you can see this and turn around and repent. Or get what he got. Uh, anyway, he imagined that uh, these gods might not hurt him. If he sided with them, again, let's go back, not to pick on India, but there's a lot of paganism there that matches what's going on here. There are those in India that worship Satan, and not as the cheap Westerners do, some of them do, but because they figure if we worship Satan, who's the bad guy, he won't hurt us. It's Satan has authored that kind of illogic. He's hurting you already by making you think such a stupid thing. Because you still got to answer to his maker. Well, anyway, that's some of what is going on in this guy's head. Well, if I side with those gods, man, then I won't, you know, suffer their wrath. So he worshipped the gods of those whom God, the true God, used to smite him. So God says, I'm going to send these people to clunk you upside your head so you figure it out. And he, he sides with that. He goes deeper into his insanity. It says on the hills and under every green tree, he's burning his incense and making these altars. Uh, this, this was no accident. He embraced idolatry. It was systematic. He, he got worse as God began to minister to him. He doubled down on his, his hatred. Um, God knew he had a foul heart. And uh, these kings that come against him, from the north and from Syria. They wanted to assassinate him and put their own king on the throne because, because politically what's happening is Assyria is getting too big. So Syria, next to Assyria, uh, uh, sides up with an old enemy, the northern kingdom, to fight the Assyrians and says to Judah, we need you too. And Ahaz, the king of Judah, says, no, I, I don't want to go with you. It's, it's a lose-lose situation for us. And, and so they, that's when they come against him. And God, instead of God protecting him, God let them as the punishment. So he gave him a chance to be uh, right with, with his creator. He opted out of that. Second Chronicles, again, 28, verse 22, now in the time... Of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to Yahweh. That is this King Ahaz. So I reread that on purpose because it's such a strong statement. He's, he's just hardening, blaming God. And in his blame, he's like, I'm going to show you. I'm gonna, he, knows, he, he knows those are fake gods. How can you not? Well, anyway, he's going to try to, revive, to redo the nation. He's going to vandalize the house of God and try to remove anything that would motivate the people to follow the true God. 
Again, 2 Chronicles 28, verse 23, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. And this is the illogic that Satan likes to give people. And I bet you he's telling, patting him on the back the whole time, boy, you're so smart to figure this out. Well, the world's been waiting for a king like you. Uh, you know, again, when you're young, you, you can think some really silly stuff. You don't even know it's silly. You don't even know you're doing it. Unless you have somebody. You know, I had a, I had a cousin. He's, I think he's about 17 years older than I. And so was my oldest brother, incidentally, who was older than him. Anyway, he had to pull myself and my cousin aside to say, you know, you boys got to take baths. you got, you got to bathe. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean once a month. And he just was telling, just to sit down to us. My father had, had, had passed by this time. And, uh, you know, there was really no male figure that was that close. And he had a shot. I'm sure my aunt put him up to it. Listen, could you go talk to those boys? And it was really helpful. I don't know that my cousin enjoyed it. Um, I, all right, never mind. He's in heaven now, so he can't say, hey, well, you know, why are you talking bad about me? He can, but I can't hear him. Anyway, back to this, uh, you, you know, to have somebody that can tell you how to live life better, how to do decent things. I remember a neighbor of ours, the, the wife had passed, and uh, my mom said, you know, you need to go over there and tell them that you're sorry. And I said, I didn't do anything. Why, why do I have to be sorry? <laughs> All right. My mom had a sense of humor. I ended up going over anyway. And, of course, sorry for your loss. And uh, I would not have known to do that uh, at, at that young age. I don't know, I was 15 or something like that. Some of you may be more sensitive. Maybe, you, you know, you are. Well, look at you. So, <laughs> but I, I wasn't. So I just, okay. And, and I did. And it was a meaningful moment because I remember it to this day. I remember the look on the man's face like, what's a dumb teen doing here? <laughs> no, it wasn't wasn't that at all. It was very, very helpful. Anyway, back to Second Chronicles one more time. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut them in pieces. The articles of the house of God shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. See, he was fed up with Yahweh. So he strips his temple and he infects the land. He blames God for all of his bad feelings and his moods and anything that doesn't go his way. He has it better than some people, but compared to others, it's not good enough. Verse 5, Then Rezen, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. Yeah, but there was a lot of suffering in the midst of all of this. They did not take out Jerusalem, but they caused a lot of damage, these two. And uh, uh, Pekah of Israel, who was eventually assassinated by Hoshea, another king, uh, I've already covered that these two got together to force Judah to bring their troops onto their side. Isaiah 7 and 8 deal with this. In Isaiah 7... You know, you might be familiar, a virgin shall have a child in Isaiah 7, because he's saying, I'm going, there are going to be miracles, Ahaz, to show you Yahweh is with you. 
and he didn't want any of that. But historically, that chop chapter is, is very much a part of what's happening here. Isaiah 7, uh, let us go up against Judah, this is what these two kings were saying, and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it. But then the response of God to that, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. But he didn't, it didn't register. He, did, he didn't see that these two kings, that Assyria came and killed Reason, and Pekah was killed by Hoshea. He doesn't see that Yahweh protected him. All he sees is the other stuff, the other side. He appeals to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, for help. He'll get some help, but not enough. Well, uh, I mentioned we'll, we'll come to reason being killed, uh, we, and the reason why reason was killed. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. Now, this Pekah, he inflicted 100, I have the number there, 120,000 casualties in one day. So we pick it up in Second Chronicles 28. But the prophet, well, before I get to that, he also took... Uh, 200,000 women and children as captives uh, to, to Samaria. And then God sends a prophet to untangle, disentangle this, Second Chronicles 28, after Pekah comes and, and conquers these surrounding territories in Judah's kingdom. We read, but a prophet of Yahweh was there whose name was Obed. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Look, because Yahweh, God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in rage that reaches up to heaven. Well, that struck fear in the troops. And the troops, of course, they wanted the loot, they wanted the slaves, and they abandoned all of it. And then the Samarian uh, politicians said, Look, we got to do something with these 200,000 people. And um, they treated them very nicely after that. We read that. Um, um, oh, I'll come to it at some point and bring it up. So much history flying around in this. I also should add, not only was he getting trouble from the north, Syria, and Israel, but the Philistines were rising up against him in the west. And the Edomites were coming against him in parts of the south and in the east. And so he's, he's getting hammered, all because he won't listen to God. And uh, just Second Chronicles twenty eight fifteen, And the men which were expressed by the name rose up, took the captives. Oh, so this is the part that I wanted to get to, incidentally. I should add that, keep you tied into it. This is the response of the Samaritans in Samaria, not those with purses, but, okay, I couldn't resist. <laughs> these, these were those in the northern kingdom that had these prisoners of war, and, and they, then they abandoned them. The politicians came and said, well, we've got to do something to them, and that's what we, I'm reading now. And the men which were expressed by name rose up. Exp they were selected to, to help the people took the captives and with the spoil clothed all that were naked among them, arrayed them, shod them, and gave them uh, to eat and drink and anointed them, that's rubbing oil on them, soothing them, 
uh, and carried all the feeble of them upon donkeys and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brethren, and they returned to Samaria. So here you have the northern kingdom, which is far more idolatrous than the southern kingdom, but they're so compassionate here because that prophet rose up and said, God's going to deal with you for, for, for your rage. And so they treat them very kindly, and they get them back home to their territory and back to their, their villages. And so uh, this didn't register again with this uh, is that king, Ahaz. Verse 16, verse 6, don't you wish. Uh, at that time, reason, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwelt there to this day. So there's, this is in the south by the Red Sea. David had conquered this territory, established trade routes, shipping routes, and uh, it was good for the economy. Well, Ahaz lost it all. And the Edomites, um, they, the Syrians took it. The Edomites came in, and, and they, it was theirs now. So Judah is losing territory even before Nebuchadnezzar comes along. Heavy losses of life and uh, property and all sorts of things because of one fool. Verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. So now he makes Judah a vassal kingdom, a vassal, vassal state of the Assyrian Empire. He submits and says, I'll start paying you. I'll pay you to come help and I'll continue to pay you. And he dismisses the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah 7 again, verse 4. Um, say to the king, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. For those two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason of Syria and the son of Remalia. So God is saying through the prophet to the king, I'll protect you from these two, not the Assyrians. I will do this. But he didn't want any of that. And then Isaiah adds, <clears throat> a few verses later, speaking to the king, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. And he suffered, and all of the people suffered with him. All he had to do was side with the prophet and avoid all of this. But those two kings did come and do much damage, though they did not take again Jerusalem. So we pick it up again in Isaiah 7. I hope you're following me with all of this, because it's a, Isaiah is giving us the spiritual uh, behind the scenes. What, someone was trying to reach this man. He wasn't off on his own. He had opportunity. Uh, the great prophet Isaiah. In chapter 7 again, he says in verse 17, Yahweh will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day of Ephraim, Ephraim departed from Judah. So the prophet says, fine. God says this, you won't receive the blessings of the Lord. You won't side with him. You're going to go to Assyria, aren't you? Well, Assyria is going to betray you and you're going to suffer. A lot, and so is the, the kingdom. And that's what happened. Verse 8, And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of Yahweh and the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. He had to pay extra for the gift wrapping. 
<laughs> I'm sending it as a present. Take it out of that box. Anyhow, anyhow. Um, so he's without faith. He's desperate for his life. Um, he, he's fully turning to the devil. Again, Second Chronicles. And he has gathered, Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh, and made for himself altars in every corner of the land. So he echoes the, the chronicler, echoes the writer of Kings. Verse 9. So the king of Assyria heeded him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it carried his people captive to Kerr and killed Reason. So he kills the, the Assyrian, Tiglath-Pileser, comes and kills the Syrian king because he's paid to do this, but he's still going to forsake Judah, and he's going to turn on Judaism, and, and he's going to do great damage himself. And if, if it was one of these things, you know, don't get the mob to help you. You're going to, you're going to be indebted to them, and it won't work well for you. And that's a little bit of what's going on here. Verse 10. Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. So as a vassal king, he summoned up to come see Tiglath-Pileser. And, you know, the mountain doesn't come to Moses. Moses goes up to the mountain. And uh, so he goes there. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty: Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. He's not satisfied with what God has given Israel. He wants this more, you know, the gaudy altar. That would have been a good name for this, the gaudy altar. Well, this is something that comes to we Christians. You know, God is meeting our needs, got a pretty good life, and yet we're still not satisfied because we see somebody with something better. And you just have to fight this. It's, it's worth fighting. It's worth resisting. So the devil, he found not only a goofy king, but a silly priest to accommodate and to appease him. And the significance is huge in the negative column. This, this picture of him going to the pagans, seeing some religious artifact that he admires so much, he has to uh, renovate God's temple by bringing this one down. He's going to shove the other one out of the way. Uh, anyway, this is a picture of what often happens in Christianity, in Christian ministries, in Christian uh, homes, uh, amongst individual Christians. Somebody sees something that comes from the world, that belongs in the world, not in the, in the faith, but they think it's a good fit in the Lord's work. And they drag it in, and the church starts to imitate the world. And it's no longer spiritual. It's, it's just, you know, rational. Well, Charles Wesley said, watch out for the reasonable devil. Uh, the, the scripture protects us from these things if we abide in it. Colossians 2, beware lest anyone cheat you through, cheats you through philosophy. That's all the psychology of the world, how the world goes about it. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The things that to them is foolish, he uses to beat them. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, 
and not according to Christ. I wonder what the Anglican Church does with that, the tradition of men, because, you know, they got a whole bunch of traditions. And they're not the only ones. Uh, that's not a shot again. Well, maybe it is. It's not a big shot, but I'm a big shot. <laughs> Verse 11. Then Uriah the priest, <clears throat> this is noodlehead number two. Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back to Damascus. Oh, we have to hurry up and get this done. <laughs> Else, well, you know, the, pump, the carriage will turn into a pumpkin. Uh, it's just, he's, he's rushing to get this done to make the king happy. The priest did not know who he was working for. He is supposed to be working for y'all. Again, this happens in Christianity. Somebody serving in the church thinks that they're helping the church. No, that, that may be true on a practical level, but you're supposed to be serving God. He is the one that is the source of your inspiration. And uh, even though, you know, there are human you know, relationships, we admire people, we want to help them, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we understand, we serve the king. Uh, in Isaiah 2, we read this. Same time period. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of that hard Jewish name there. So Isaiah, God sends Isaiah to make a covenant. And he says, I want you to take these two witnesses. They are faithful witnesses. But is it the same Uriah the priest? Because if it is, does that mean that he was at one point good and then became bad or, you know, with the chronology all over the place? What is going on? Maybe it's a different guy. Or maybe God is saying he's a faithful witness in the eyes of the people. And that's the one they'll respect. Sort of like, you know, you can't have your, you know, your spouse testify for you or your mom. Your mom goes to court and says, he's a good boy. What are you people doing? Take those chains off him. Uh, Maybe it was, uh, and I think that's, that's where I lean a little bit. Uh, it's either a different guy, it was before he was corrupted, or uh, what is meant by that, these are faithful witnesses that, in the sense that the people will trust their witness and uh, not you know, be suspect. Well, anyway, this priest Uriah, uh, the flame of the Lord, that's what his name means, the flame of Yahweh. And he's, he's burnt out when it comes to doing good. So Uriah the priest made it before the king, before King Ahaz came back to Damascus. Other priests were ready to die with standing kings. You're not coming in here burning incense. You know, Azariah and the 80 priests with him. Uh, this is um, this altar of the Lord. God's people were to adhere to the pattern given. We have no reason to doubt that this altar that is the uh, of Solomon is the one being replaced. And even if it isn't, it's the one according to Moses. Exodus 25. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. And there, prior to that, God itemizes many of the, the tools for the, for the tabernacle in the wilderness. The, the lampstands and, the, you know, all the table and everything. You saw the pattern. I showed it to you in heaven, Moses. I want you to... That was your prototype. Make it, make it on earth. David comes along for Solomon's temple, and David says this, because David gave the plans to the temple, as well as the funding of it. 
All this, said David, Yahweh made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. So the altar that is in Jerusalem is given by God. It's pattern. It's not supposed to be improved upon. Yes, especially by pagans. This is again the world coming into the church saying, we can do better than this. Have you seen those acrylic pulpits? Just saying, I mean, this is probably not exactly it, but it's just something I've been wanting to say for about 20 years. And just never get to say acrylic in the pulpit. But uh, who would, uh, would want to see? I mean, I mean, the pulpit is a shield. It's to cover stuff. You know, if something's not zipped up or something, you can't see it. And, and you're happy about that. So, so don't go messing with things. They mean, I mean, they built they built a platform for Ezra and and a, for him to stand and speak. Anyhow, okay, I might be pushing a little bit much, but I feel better for getting this out. It's been in there a long time. Acrylic pulpits should are anathema. So, what makes you think people want to see? Uh, anyway, Isaiah eight again. No, I'm not going to read that. I got that. Where are we? So Uriah the priest made it before he came back. And I read those two verses. And, you know, again, uh, the altar in this attempt to reform God and his provisions, that altar spoke of redemption. Nothing in the temple you couldn't mattered if that altar wasn't properly addressed. If your sacrifice wasn't proper, then you didn't benefit from anything that God had to offer in the holiest of holies. You're disqualified. So the first thing that you noticed about the altar was the smell of meat cooking. And you could get that not being in the, anywhere in eyesight. You'd be in your tent and you could smell it cooking. So to come and tamper with this is a heavy crime. So big is the altar that in Hebrews, Paul points to it. He says, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. This is the Holy of Holies on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he says, not without blood. That's the altar, not the incense altar, the golden altar where the prayers are offered up, but the blood sacrifice. To us, it is the cross of Christ. So you imagine somebody say, well, you know, I saw the pagans. They have another symbol. And uh, we're going to start using that instead of the cross. You see, that's how serious this is. Because to Ahaz, God's plan was in the way of who he wanted to be. And so he had to move it out of the way. And that's what he's going to do. Cain tried to bring a bloodless sacrifice. And we read in, in Genesis, he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. That's a polite way of saying he was really angry. Well, Paul said... Uh, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. You know what the first profession is? Tailoring. Adam and Eve were naked and God clothed them. And somebody had to learn how to start stitching stuff. Uh, and uh, it, so it's just an interesting thought because they were covering sin. Sin had to be covered. It had to be put in its place until it could be removed, the, the penalty thereof. Verse 12, we're almost done. <laughs> I don't know how, but if you don't believe in miracles, and I finish, you will tonight. 
And when the king came back from Damascus, he saw the altar. The king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Oh, man. I don't have time to pick this apart, but do we need to? Uh, he comes back and says, oh, it's glorious, Uriah. It's more than I thought. I could just hug you. Please, not with my vestments on. And the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Second um, Chronicles chapter 28 just gives us so much more detail about this. Anyway, verse 16. So he burned... So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. Noticed his burnt offering, his grain, his drink. It's all about him. I don't think that's a mistake. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make those kind of mistakes. When something glares out at you and says, wait a minute, this guy is wrong and everything is in the, uh, a personal pronoun, the spotlight is being pushed on him. Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in a, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is the iniquity of, is iniquity and idolatry. Isaiah will go on to say, these people draw near me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Verse 14, and he also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from in front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of Yahweh, and put it on the north side of the new altar. So he moved the altar of Solomon, the bronze altar for for the blood sacrifices, and put this one in its place. Now, this was center stage at the temple. When you come into the, to a church that preaches the word, and you, you come into the sanctuary, you see the pulpit right away. Uh, in other, other so-called churches, you'll see an altar, because the word is secondary to the, to the emotions. And that's a big disconnect. Uh, anyhow, some may be on the side. Some of it is for acoustics. Um, various reasons why. But coming back to this, Uh, I did read verse 14. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from in front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of Yahweh, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Uh, First, uh, Romans chapter 1, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And there it is illustrated right here. You want to see an illustration of what Paul was talking about? Here it is. He's exchanging the true altar for the fake one. God's plan of salvation was in his way, and it needed to be moved out of the way. And we know people like this. Verse 15. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Oh, the great new altar burn the morning burnt offerings and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all that the people of the land their grain offering, their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So it looks like he's reduced God's bronze altar to a Ouija board. He'll just go there when he needs some inside information. Isaiah wrote this in the first chapter. 
likely with Ahaz in mind. Or certainly people like him. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. And his hands were. He caused so much death. Verse 16, thus did Uriah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. That is not a compliment. It is not a virtue. Verse 17, and King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the lavers from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. Also, verse 18, he removed the Sabbath pavilion, which he had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of Yahweh on account of the king of Assyria. So he turns the temple ground into a chop shop. And he is just getting getting rid of everything, remodeling in, in the image of paganism. Second Chronicles says, So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of Yahweh, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So he's stripping it, the, the temple from its magnificence, that Solomon's temple. He got rid of the, 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 the lavers and this, the sea for cleansing, because cleansing was that to him. He rendered it despicable. And then he harvests the brass to pay off Assyrians and to also spread around. You know, because to pay off these kings, you need a lot of money. They had a lot of troops they had to take care of. This was vandalism to the house of God, systematically dismantling Israel's divine heritage. We see that today with people in America. No matter what country they were born in, they would hate the country they were born in. They're just those type of people. But anyway, they're trying to remove history. Oh, well, he had slaves. Well, who didn't? Who didn't? You would have them if you could. They'd tell about where you comb your hair. Stand up and tell these people, so, you know, are you crazy? Yeah, nobody's applauding slavery, but what are you going to do? It's done. I mean, there's other things that good came out of it. What have you found out the guy that made, um, you know, painkillers had slaves? Will you stop taking painkillers? Anyway, uh, uh, verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? They are. <laughs> verse 20. <laughs> He's asking a question. I can get that one. And Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Uh, he's not buried in the tombs of the kings. Second uh, Chronicles 28 says this about this commentary on him. For Yahweh brought Judah low because of Ahaz. This is that Ahaz, because of him. I would not want to be in his place at death. I would not want to die with a testimony like this. Anyway, let's, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the lessons as always. Um, they, they just, where, where else can, can man find such things, such truth? And then to top it off, it's that glorious salvation that awaits us, the heaven, the heavens and the, the beauty of your salvation, the glorification that awaits us, that makes all this worth it. We thank you for these things. We ask you to get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.